Welcome to the Hot Stove Society Kitchen Show on uh, Cairo Radio. This is Tom Douglas. Thank you for joining us this week. We are thrilled to be here, and uh, we are starting a little bit early on Facebook today, so sorry if we missed you or sorry if you missed the beginning of the show. Uh, We have a big show all day long today. We're going to explore the New York Times uh, Wednesday food section. It was quite dramatic this week. Pamela, you... uh, you brought in the section. There is no doubt about it that the New York Times food section is the best food section in America. Unrivaled, unrivaled. Unrivaled. And if There's, you go on the website, they go even deeper. So the videos that back up the stories are spectacular. Yeah, you, you know how good it is? is I don't have time to ever finish to read the exactly. entire section. <laughs> ever. I don't ever have time. I'm always like, oh, i got to go back to that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's dynamic and uh, thoughtful and all sorts of things. It's worth getting the whole paper all week just to get the Wednesday food section, I think. So we're going to get into that a little bit today. I must say that the Seattle time, um, you know, has a lot of that same kind of concept for me in terms of I read it every day, but um, I, I like the food section. Um, you know, I look forward, obviously, because I'm in the food business, but I look forward to the food it's section. More, to me, it's, uh, the Seattle Times has become, uh, obviously, they pick up national stories from yeah. a lot from the Washington Post, a lot from Melissa Clark, from the Times. They don't have the the... Firepower that they used to oh, have, no, no, right? No. So they're more of a, a, a what is that word? An amalgamator of yeah. uh, food news, uh, and uh, they have a little bit with the reviews with Bethany Jean and Ken uh, Yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, but they don't have the firepower that New York Times right. has. No, LA Times has a good one. Washington Post has a good one. So that's it. I'm Tom Douglas, by the way, uh, owner of a couple of joints here in Seattle, including the one I'm standing in at, in the Hotel Andra. The beautiful it gets more beautiful every day. You know, they're doing their remodel as they're open. And so uh, you just walk through the lobby and you can see the stonework going on. Definitely refreshed. Yeah. I also have serious takeout out in Ballard. I know a lot of people can go to restaurants now, but it's still fun to take out dinner at the Serious Pie in Ballard and a Seatown restaurant in the Pike Place Market area. Uh, north end uh, we are still doing our fish and chips and uh deliciousness down there i you know my favorite thing at sea town is the smoked salmon caesar we make a hard smoked salmon like a kippered salmon uh-huh. and then shred it up a little bit and put it on the caesar i love it it's my favorite lunch. that's a good that's a good way to do seattle representation there on the yeah. caesar yeah i like that and i'm terry roturo the chef in a hat and uh well i'm here every friday i'm uh Proud owner of uh, myself. Of nothing? Of myself. <laughs> <laughs> of nothing. I'd be proud of nothing right now, too. It sounds pretty nice. <laughs> well, it's, it's good. I was thinking of opening. Uh, um, I'm going to be doing a consulting job at the airport on a place called Lulu, mm-hmm. which was actually named after the dog I was raised on the farm with. And um, that should be it. They're trying to open it before Thanksgiving, so maybe mid-November or so. We'll see. Show up down there once in a while, maybe? Yeah, no, I will. And, and unfortunately, we can't start with the ambitious menus that I had to start with because of COVID uh-huh. right now. It's a, you know, the presence at the airport is still a little bit on the, on the, on the volume. So. But we'll, you know, we give it a go and start and get the machine rolling. When I went to Scotland a couple of weeks ago, the airports I felt were both Heathrow, uh, uh, Glasgow, SeaTac... Uh, Reykjavik, uh, all were, they felt like about 50%. Yeah, that's about, yeah. That's about the context, I don't know what 50 the to 60. Is. Could persons. have been uh, just the time I was there. Okay, big show today. Two full hours. Hang with us the whole time. It's good fun. Uh, peak season broccoli. We're going to talk about that. I like broccoli all year. It's one of those ones that I don't know if I make an exception for or if broccoli really does grow all year long. Somewhere. I think they grow it all year long, for sure. <laughs> Our celebration of National Seafood Month continues. We learn about harvesting long-line cod. 
um, we're going to talk about great cod preparations in the, in the, the same time because who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Seems, it seems like a, a nice thing to do. Uh, the Modernist Pizza book is out, uh, getting a lot of attention, both through um, the content and the photography. Uh, so we're going to talk to uh, Chef Francisco Magoya from Modernist Pizza for Four volumes in that one book. And I mean, most incredible books. encyclopedia on pizza. Never knew you could talk that much about <laughs> pizza. <laughs> Lastly, we play our Rub With Love Food for Thought Tasty Trivia Challenge like we do every week. And one of you could possibly win a Rub With Love gift pack. Uh, these are versatile, handcrafted. We make them right in our Ballard warehouse. And uh, they are... Um, Super fun. We have a new one out, Trey Lamont. Remember we had Trey on oh, the yeah, show? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And Trey and I got talking, and um, he really wanted to get into the jerk business, you know, right. the jerk spice business, which is, um, there's not a lot on the marketplace. Uh, so I said, well, you know, I was telling him what we do, and then we just kind of came to the conclusion is maybe we should make it for you, put your name on it, right? and um, it would be your your spice, but we already have the... The business, right? We we have brokers all over the country. We have salespeople in our in our restaurants. Right. We have the mixing room. We have the packaging room. We have the shipping. The whole enterprise in one place. <laughs> we do have it all done. So he was going to try and recreate that. So we just decided in chatting that maybe we should figure out how to do it together. Yeah. So we now have the Rub With Love uh, brand of Trey Lamont's Jerk Spice from his Jerk Shack down here in Belltown. Hot and spicy, I'm sure. Oh, man, it's cooking. I will tell you that. It is cooking. <laughs> you know, we don't have a lot of heat in our line of spice rubs. Right, we have 15 right. different rubs. Right. And we don't have any that I would say knock your face over. Right, 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 right. I, I'm not a big believer in knocking your face over. I like no, a, a rounded spice. I like spikes of heat. And um, his, for the first time, because of the nature of jerk in general, it's got some kick. And it'll knock your face over. And uh, people are loving it because you, know, you forget how many heat heads are out there. Right. But some also, people, you can't make it too hot for them. No, I mean, that's what it is. It's, there is a whole section of life that loves the five-star spice. I mean, yeah. you know, and that, that's good for them. I, mean, I just can't take it. I wouldn't call this five-star. I would call this three to four-star. Okay. You know, my, my but general, that's still pretty high. Like I mean, if I go to a restaurant that asks me stars, I'm a two-star person. I like, right, right. I like the flavor perked. Me too. And uh, but I don't like it overwhelming. Right. And so I would say this is more three to four stars. Love so it. What's your taste of the week, there, buddy? Taste of the week. So we were talking about before we started the show about Scamosa from uh, Ferndale. Ferndale, and uh, I just Ferndale Farmstead. And I just told you, I said this is a memory taste at the same time as it is something I never get tired of. You take Scamosa, which is basically a smoked mozzarella, and you slice it and you put it on the bed of a couple of days ago. We had our last tomato that were in the garden, small and big, all kind of tomato. Cut them in big chunks, put them in a dish with a little bit of olive oil, salt, pepper, all the basil that was left in the garden, which was not a lot, but Julian, that put that with the tomato, and then slice the scarmosa on top, put that in the oven at about 350 for about 10 minutes, not even, and the scarmosa melts down. Mm-hmm. It melts like mozzarella. Yeah, and it's, it gets it's, stringy. Like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it melts down and cover that, and the tomatoes are nice and stewy. And mm-hmm. you take that out of the oven, and a uh, beautiful country grain bread from uh, Grand Central that we had, mm-hmm. and uh, toast that really dark, and then put the whole thing on top of that. It's kind of like a, a pizza homemade with. 
country grain bread. Oh mm-hmm. my God Almighty, that's delicious. And it's smoked, but it's not over smoked. So we no no no, it's yeah. not over smoked. It's 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 perfect. Sometimes I mean, cheeses can be uh, correct. Yeah. Yeah, anything in smoke can be overdone. This is actually really delicious. But just to give them a, a plug, this is a really, really delicious product. It lasts for a very long time because it's been smoked. The presentation they have with the string in the middle of the two ball is fabulous. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, I recommend this product. And it's, a, it's classic, that string. Matter of fact, he brings that string in. Remember, he was on the radio show. Right, right. He brings it in from Italy. Correct. Just to make himself... I'm sure Because we don't have here, string in is, America. This is classic Italian. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a very cute, their passion. And uh, we use their mozzarella. We started using it um, about a year and a half ago on right. our pizzas, our margarita pizzas at Serious Pie. And the response was great. Uh, felt really good. Just, you know, getting cheese from up... I five compared to bringing it all the way in from Italy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think he does a beautiful job. Yeah. Um, it melts beautifully. So, uh, I guess my taste of the week would be the same, which is the uh, Ferndale Farmstead Cheese Company, uh, and you can find them. I got this at Ballard Market, but you can find them all over the place. Yeah, Met Market too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So super fun, and of course, uh, my taste of the week was the Trey Lamont yeah. jerk spice. Good for you. Uh, I cooked it uh, on a chicken thigh. Give it a maybe 30-minute head start with the spice on the chicken. Right. And put it on a charcoal grill. Mmm. So busy today. Broccoli coming up next. I know. Don't turn the channel if you hate broccoli. We're going to make you love it. And I love broccoli. And I want to be your friend. And if you don't eat broccoli, we can't be friends. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society. 97.3. Bring on the broccoli. I love broccoli. Steam it, roast it, grill it, and serve it to me. Serve it to me. This is the Hot Stove Society Radio Show, and uh, that is uh, Terry trying out for America's Got Talent. I'm I'm just slowly working on it. And I'm, I'm, I'm counting on Tom's creation as that well. That is the chef in the chapeau. I'm Tom Douglas. We're going to talk broccoli for a minute. I know our producer Pamela and I have an affinity for broccoli. Do you like broccoli, chef? Oh, do I like broccoli? You can ask my wife. I'm always asking for I'm broccoli. I'm asking you, chef. Do you like broccoli? Yes, I love oh, okay, broccoli. Good. That was awesome. Your wife's not here. No, no, that's true. <laughs> that is true. Uh, what I, is your favorite way to have broccoli? My favorite way, well, I just well, did some that much a few thought, days chef. ago where I took, so I took the top part of the broccoli, the heads of the broccoli. and the I florets. Roast, the florets, and I roast those. The crowns, so yes, to speak. Yes, I roast them with, tossed, with just a little bit of olive oil, salt, and pepper, that's it. Mm-hmm. Put them in the oven super hot and roast them. Um, that's one way to do the floret. And then the bottom part, I just cut them in big chunks, mm-hmm. and I steam them, and I put the uh, chili crisp on top of that, mm-hmm. toss it together, Oh, man, that makes a side garnish to any dish you're doing. Does that, uh, do you ever take those big, long stalks and just use a peeler on them? And, and That's get what I'm talking about, the oh, stalks. Okay. Yeah. I understand. You, I didn't hear you say you peeled them first. Oh, no, I do. I'm sorry. Yes, I do peel them first because okay. the, 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 the bottom part, the outer, But it's the outer casing really is what's tough, Correct. right? Correct. If you peel the, the bottom stalk, uh, it tastes just like broccoli. It's got a nice crunch. But it's much more tender without that outer skin on it. Correct. Yeah. And it's also, once you steam it, it's just as good as anything else. I mean, it's, it's really, and it's tasty. It tastes like a, like a broccoli, like a cabbage family broccoli. You right. know, it's, a, it's delicious. And, and you can ta- do it with so many different things. One thing great to do is to do an herb butter with that. If you want to get very simple, something that you've already made at the end of the season, like right now, go to your garden and pick up your 
your lemon verbena, your basil, your, all your stuff like that, and chop it and put it into a butter, a soft butter, roll it, put it in the freezer in small chunks. And then when you do things like steamed broccoli or whatever, you can actually slice that butter, put it in, toss it in, in a bowl with your broccoli, and you flavor your broccoli right away. Mm-hmm. So Super that's fun. one way to use it and simple way to use it. When you go to a restaurant that has broccoli on the menu, generally I find that it's a, it's a throwaway. They don't really do much to yeah, it. Yeah, that's and the so problem with I really broccoli like, restaurant. Yeah, I really like, I mean, it's, it's just that typical because it's available year-round, they, you know, boom, they just, it's like a throwaway dish. I like where people really focus on it and feature it. And one of the things we did at Cantina Lena was our charred oh, yeah. broccoli salad. Do you remember Sean that? Sean said... Best ever. Best. I, I love that salad. We do it here at Hot Stove all the time in our classes because it's a technique that a lot of people don't think about. And that is we take a, our biggest cast iron pan and get it nice and smoking hot. And then we take our broccoli crowns. We mm-hmm. literally do the, the crown and the stalk, you know, probably, I would say, five inches into big, the, into the know, head, easily. Yep. And then we hard sear, mm-hmm. literally hard sear. Until it's almost blackened. Right. And I think much further than people would expect right. that it would be good. Because there's a lot of sh- natural sugars and vegetables of that course. caramelize all the time, whether it's carrots, broccoli, you name it. And then we put that in the cast iron pan and, and just almost walk away. I mean, we, we're doing other stuff, but we're kind of watching it, but sure. you can't fiddle around with it because right. you're not going to get that hard sear. It almost has to stick to the pan a little bit until it burns. And then you just turn it over and you char the other side, uh, maybe not quite as hard, but. You end up with this crunchy, because it's not cooked literally all the way. All the way. It's al dente. Yeah. But you get this hard caramelization. And we, Sean, uh, jump on that microphone. And uh, you've made the dressing for this a million times. It's a, We make like a cheesy um, cojita yeah. dressing. I, I, yeah, I, I think it's... Um, at, we, well, we smoke the cojita, is it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cojita, yeah. Um, and, yeah, it, it's just, I think... It changes people's perceptions of dressing and broccoli. Right. Both both processes are a little bit outside of the box enough to just go, oh, I didn't really think of that. Or right. Bit, you know, that and it makes work. a broccoli lover out of anybody, I swear to God. Totally. And I don't think, yeah, a lot of people don't use the stalks. A lot of right. people don't understand the, the sear changes the dynamic right. of the flavor profile. And then we garnish that salad with pickled red onions and our own homemade corn nuts. <laughs> Seriously? It's really, really crunchy. Corn nuts, corn nuts that's with cool. this creamy dressing. That's kind of interesting, dressing. actually, yeah. Really tasty. And then I'll, I'll pick one more that I really like, which is if you go down to Chinatown, and whether you're having dim sum or whether you're going out for dinner, and I like I like the sliced cod with Chinese greens at mm-hmm. Tai Tung restaurant. It's my classic order there. Right. And what you end up getting is a big plate of gailan, right. which is the Chinese broccoli. Broccoli, yeah. It's got big green... Um, Wings or, or leaves on right, it, unlike right. our broccoli, which really, you know, our broccoli is really the well, head of a flower, right? It's also because we take the, the leaves off. If you grow broccoli, you will have leaves around the broccoli. Way down. Yeah. Yeah, but these, these are the literally the crown or the flower. Of Correct. The, if you let them go to, uh, uh, on the plant all the way, they turn into yellow flowers, right? right? right. So the, um, just like an artichoke turns into a thistle, like a purple Correct. thistle, uh, if you let that go past its picking point. Anyway... Chinese gailan, you get it a dim sum, just a big plate of it with oyster sauce. I get it down at Taitung, and it comes in. A, they literally give you like a mountain, a pound of it. Yeah, <laughs> of course, a mountain of gailan, and it's cut up and it's done in a little garlic sauce, and then they put their little uh, Chinese fish on top, which happens to be catfish. Right, uh, but uh, really good. I, I love that way, and I feel so good after eating it that I want to order 
a side of salt and pepper pork chops. <laughs> <laughs> the antidote. Which is, antidote. which is, which is where you should not go. Right well, after I you understand, eat that. but I tell you, if you're going to go you that way, do, all you need to do is wait 15 minutes, and you'll realize you're full. <laughs> I know that's that's so true. Yes, a very good thought. But uh, that is kind of what I say to myself. So, well, I'm having gailan, so I'm going to have those fried pork chops. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> no, oh, no. I think broccoli is definitely one of those vegetables that. All you have to do is put a little thoughts into it that it's extremely, first of all, to cook, it's extremely sturdy. It's not a sensitive vegetable. And, you know, there are vegetables that are much more, that are harder to cook. So it's very safe to roast. It's safe to grill, safe to char. It's safe to steam, saute. I mean, you can do so many different things with broccoli. Mm -hmm. It's pretty easy and simple. It's a vegetable that's pretty much year-round, which that we can discuss later. Try Mm -hmm. to find local, obviously, and, you know, to stick to that. And, um, but it is very versatile, and then you can use it raw or cooked. I mean, raw broccoli, if you take the floret and you just use your knife and shave kind of idea every quarter inch down to the floret, you'll have this beautiful um, amount of broccoli, uh, shaved broccoli, then you can use it into a salad. You can use it with a light lemon olive oil dressing, some olives, and use that next to a, a, a cold cut of lamb, you know, roasted leg of lamb, mm. then you have leftovers or chicken, you know, you can use that into a salad, but broccoli, raw broccoli is actually really delicious as well. So, right. And, you know, uh, you know, the soup thing is uh, interesting because even though you can make soup out of it, I don't think people think about it very much. Oh, it's so delicious. But if you, go, if you talk to the uh, Costco folks, because they sell a lot of soup, I want to say, if I remember right, the broccoli cheddar soup is their number two seller after tomato basil. Wow. Uh, so it, it, ha- it shows up in funny places that yeah, you yeah. wouldn't expect. It's also, uh, Pamela, do you, uh, you put this on the show sheet. Do uh, you have a favorite way to have broccoli? You have 30 seconds. Don't mess up. <laughs> Blanch really quickly, chopped coarsely with fresh, crisp apples, celery, uh, mayonnaise-based dressing, topped with chopped roasted pecans and bacon bits. Made it yesterday. Rave reviews. Woo! There we go. That's the end. I, you I know what? That was, that was mi- 20 was seconds, a, sir. I think that was a mic drop right there. <laughs> yeah, she if just, I'm not mistaken. She just did that. I think that was a mic drop. <laughs> All right, yeah, Scott Sandvig is here. I just saw him walk in with a cooler full of cod from the uh, Long Line uh, Coalition. Uh, we're going to talk cod when we come back on Cairo. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society show on Cairo. Such a busy kitchen here today. We're at the Hot Stove Kitchen where we do our classes. And, uh, you know, we've been doing these dinners over at the Old Serious Pie through the Hot Stove. So you can get dinner for two, up to 24 people, private. Uh-huh. Really fun. And I feel like that's what we're doing right now almost. Uh, Scott uh, has uh, brought in this beautiful Alaska deep sea cod. And uh, we are going to cook some off while we do our show. So, t- Terry, this is a multi-talent situation. No, multitasking. You, you, I don't know if I can do that. You Oh, yeah, of course I feel up okay. for it. I don't All know right. if I can do it, but I'm always up for everything. Scott Sandvig is here. He's from the Alaskan Leader as part of the Freezer Long Line Coalition, which promotes public policy that facilitates the intelligent and orderly harvest of Pacific cod and other ground fish species. This is uh, to encourage reduction of incidental catch, which is always a big deal out there, and non-targeted species in the long-line fisheries. Uh, uh, they also support research and education 
about longline fisheries, and that's what we're going to do here today. We're going to tell you a little bit how the whole thing works. Um, Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's nice to have you here. This is all part of our Seafood 101 month. Yep. And uh, so what's the difference between when you see something that says uh, cod in the grocery store, you see longline cod, what is the difference of what people are buying? Sure. So the long line part of cod is the gear type. So it's how we actually fish and harvest our Alaska cod. There's several gear types, hook and line, pot cot, trawl cot, and jig cot, probably the four main most popular ways to fish for cod. So when we say hook and line, our boats actually deploy baited hooks, so individually baited hooks on a continuous ground line. And so that allows us to catch each fish individually. So that fish comes on board one at a time. It's in perfect condition. So when it did latch on the hook, water's pumping through its gills. It's still swimming around, so it comes inside the boat. It's the most pristine piece of fish that we can bring on to bring on board. Just like when you're fishing on the shore. Exactly. Or if you're <laughs> fishing you know, on your own sport boat, you know, right. you're bringing in that fresh fish on a baited hook. Um, so that gives us not only uh, high quality, so that fish coming on board, again, alive, perfect condition, goes right into the factory where we process, bleed, and freeze on board. Um, it also allows for low bycatch. So if there is a fish that bites onto the hook, it actually comes up to the side of the boat, again, in perfect condition. And we can shake it off the hook, swims away free, just like a catch and release program, again, for uh, the sport fishermen out there. And then it's low environmental impact. That ground line is just a quarter inch in diameter. So we deploy the ground line with baited hooks. It sinks to the bottom of the ocean floor. We let it soak for about six to ten hours. We come back, we pick that ground line up off the ocean floor. It's a very low impact to the ecosystem that's going on on the ocean floor. Oh, I didn't realize this. You leave it on the floor? Yeah, so it drops all the way down. So, you know, cod is a bottom fish. So we let that ground line go all the way down, lays down on the ocean floor. The hooks um, are on leaders. They're about 18 inches off the ground line. So the bait kind of floats around. Um, and then, you know, the idea is it soaks long enough that we come back and there's fish on the hooks. Clever. That's the idea. Clever. All these fancy fishermen out there, it's all the same idea. You got a fish on the hook. That's right. <laughs> That's very cool. Um, it's very simple and very uh, clean. Yeah, very simple way. Um, you know, it's not the most economical. You know, it takes a lot of work, a lot of bait, actually, that right. gets used. Um, but it does, you know, give us what I said, the, the highest quality a great program to have low bycatch and then low environmental impact on that ecosystem. So, Carrie, uh, I, I'm just going to correct you for one second. Have you, have you ever been on a long line boat? No, I have never it been. It's not simple. No, I, no, no, no. I, it I, is, I, it's an amazing feat. What yes, happens? They can I, what put I, up. They can put like miles of these hooks out at one time. Yeah. I was going to say who? I mean, so you have three or four guys. I, I'm imagining two guys. Per line going, putting a fish on each of no, the no, hooks? No, it's mechanical. No, so actually we have what's called an auto-baiting system. So oh, it's okay. a Norwegian system made by Mustad, and it actually baits uh, about three hooks a second. So you load, load the auto-baiter with uh, Iliac squid, and it chops that bait up and actually um, has the hooks flying through the machine, picking up a piece of bait as it deploys out the stern of the vessel. Oh, wow. And the, the equipment is so advanced that it can tell... Uh, the speed of the vessel, as the vessel you know speeds or slows down, it'll slow the hooks or it'll speed up the hooks. So that line is oh nice and goodness. taut going off right, the back right. of the boat. That's complex. It's a little bit different than when I was on the side of the river with my worm trying to put it on my <laughs> yeah. hook. Yeah, it's a lot of hooks. So Wow. We want to be as so, efficient as possible. So I have a question. I'm a chef, and over the year, uh, for cod specifically, 
Um, I've seen many different sizes, and um, it's getting harder and harder. Today, you brought us three fillets of gorgeous size cod. That seems to be a little bit harder and harder to find. Is it true or not? Um, you know, I think it varies every year as, you know, what we call the year classes enter the fishery. Right. You know, as cod, you know, can live for 10 to 20 years. Obviously, you know, the, uh, the older it gets, the bigger it gets. So it kind of depends year by year. Right now, our vessels are seeing actually a lot of big fish. Um, so we like to see that, you know, on the sales side. Um, you know, using the big fillets is great for yields for chefs. Yeah, of course. So nice big piece of uh, flaky fish. It's so also it depends. For me as a chef, it feels strange to see a fish getting smaller and smaller. Like my experience in my lifetime as a chef was the monkfish. Mm-hmm. You know, when I first started in Seattle, uh, 1987, the tails of monkfish were at least three to four pound, five pound each, and then they went down to like a pound and a half. And I stopped using it. I was like, there's something wrong here. We can't get any bigger fish. There right. must be we're fishing too much. Yeah. Yeah, we usually see a nice bell curve where the most fish we're catching is kind of in that middle size grade, and that's what we like to see. You know, it kind of means the fishery's in a really good spot. It's nice right. and healthy. Um, what we're actually anticipating here coming up is a couple big year classes. They're going to enter the fishery. They're going to become three- to four-year-old fish. And so those actually will be a little on the smaller side, but it's a very, really big biomass. So that, that biomass will continue to grow and grow and grow. Excellent. Um, so the fishery's in a good spot right now. Cool. So one more question about that. When, when a fish lives, what did you say, 10 to 15 years a cod can live? Yeah. Uh, when, do they, when are they at their peak of reproduction? Um, you know, they really become mature and enter that fishery right about three to four years old. Three to four I think years. they can start to uh, reproduce. Because that's what I think what Terry's speaking to is sometimes right. when they're taken before they're even before they're even reproducing, yeah. that's a bad thing for a fishery. Right. Yeah. And on that note is actually we have hooks that are designed that they're big enough that a small juvenile fish cannot, you know, swallow hook. that hook. So we actually cannot catch that smaller fish. So we let it grow and mature until it actually can be uh, you know, enter the fishery and be Very able to cool. reproduce. So this is a Marine Stewardship Council certified sustainable. Yes. Uh, MSC is uh, out there. It's kind of like this nebulous thing. Everyone likes to promote it. Is it? Do you feel good about MSC? Is it, uh, from an industry standpoint, is it uh, both... Um, taking your concerns in stride, but also being very true to us as humans? You know, I think so. I think MSC's done a great job, you know, really promoting sustainability and holding, you know, different suppliers and fisheries accountable to that. So for us, it's a great, um, you know, certification that we can use for marketing to really prove that, hey, the fish that we're selling is MSC certified. They also have a great uh, chain of custody and traceability program. So as that fish kind of goes through the supply chain, it follows an MSC uh, chain of custody from you know us to the processor, you know all the way to the customer, and anywhere right. in between. Um, so we like to use them for that, a couple different reasons: one, the the sustainability aspect, but also the the chain of custody as well. And, and is there a third party that like? Yeah, there's seems a third to me party that would be auditor. good. To, yeah, there's, third there's a third party, party auditor that's not part of MSC and it's not yeah, part of the last. Okay, that's good. That makes me feel good as a, yeah, as exactly. a user at the yeah. user end of things. That's uh, awesome. You guys are. I mean, the fishery around here are so remarkably um, conscientious, you know, and, and it's pretty impressive to see, you know, we talk to all these Alaskan fishermen, and it's, it's amazing to me. I mean, the, the progress that has been made in that section, I think, and it's all based on education. I mean, yeah. tell people how to do it right so they can have a future, you know, and, and it's very cool. 
Absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of science that goes behind it um, every year with different surveys and analysis and data to to come up with you know a total amount of fish that we're able to harvest and pull out of the ocean to make sure that that fishery is healthy, the biomass continues to grow, and it's sustainable for years to right. come. Yeah. The old uh, grab-and-go does not work so well if no, you don't sir. pay attention. Uh, we've been talking with Scott Sandvig from the Alaskan Leader. It's part of the Freezer Longline Coalition. And uh, we thank you for your time. Thank you for the cod. Terry and I are going to continue to cook this. And if you want to hang with us for the next segment, maybe you can give us some cooking tips of how you look <laughs> to cook cod. You know, I'll do my best. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll let you know, uh, you know, just a few ins and outs of the, of the business. But I think you, I'll let the cooking be done with you guys. Oh, no. Step right in. We'll be right back on the Hot Stove Society radio show, Cairo 97.3 FM. And we're back. It's the Hot Stove Society radio show here at the Hotel Andra in downtown Seattle. Chef Terry is starting to prepare a beautiful piece of cod that uh, Scott uh, Sandvig brought for us. It's shimmery. Uh, I'm Tom Douglas. Uh, The chef in the chapeau is on the stove uh, wearing his bacon and egg shirt. What is going on with that? (laughs) Bacon and egg. It's a, a beautiful breakfast place. If you go to Walla Walla, you must go to Bacon and Eggs. Okay, well, there you go. That's heard right here on the Hot Stove Society show. We're going to continue to talk seafood with Scott. Uh, Ken's here from Seafood 101, and it's a National Seafood Month here the whole month on our show. So wait till your butter gets brown. I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it. Uh, you know, you hear Terry on our show always talk about uh, put butter in and let it get a little foamy, a little brown. You really do have to have patience when you're sautéing in brown butter. Don't jump the gun. And the color we're looking for, if you think about a roasted hazelnut or even a hazelnut skin, uh, that's why they always call it burnt noisette, right? Uh, that's correct. Yeah, it's hazelnut butter, essentially, but without the hazelnuts. It's the color. Oh, I love learning that term. Yeah. It's beautiful. All right, so he's going... It would be a great name for a dog. If you had a dog, you call him hazelnut... I mean, a noisette. A noisette. Hi, noisette. noisette. No, no, not for me. Uh, there's a f- uh, fish spatula over there on the other side of the kitchen there. So, uh, so cod, uh, Scott, why don't you go back on the mic for a second. You say that you often uh, you have value-added products, too. So in, a, in the industry, that means that you, haven't just, you didn't just catch the cod. You turned it into something. Uh, so what are some of the things that uh, you're turning cod into? Correct. So when we talk about value added, our boats catch, process, and freeze on board into what we call primary processing. So here in Seattle at our local processing facility, Independent Packers Corporation, that's where we fillet, portion, marinade, add rubs, and bring that, uh, that cod to market. So whether it's you know, a grocery store or Costco that wants a beautiful, fresh, natural piece of fillet, or a restaurant that wants portions, center cut, two ounce, bias cut, um, whatever you name it, uh, we're happy to do it in custom process to make sure that that cod is in a product form that's easy to use for whatever application that our customers uh, need it to be in. Yeah. And so some of the ways you like to, uh, your best sellers are lemon, you said lemon butter, lemon pepper butter? We have a line of marinated cod products, and our number one seller is our lemon herb butter. It actually won the best product for the state of Alaska for the Symphony of Seafood Awards. Oh, did it really? If, uh, if I was familiar. a judge on that for many years. Yeah, so um, we're really proud of that. And it's just a great way for someone who 
wants to thaw out a piece of fish, the marinade's already on there, bake it in the oven or put it in a skillet, and they have a beautiful cod dinner with a beautiful sauce in 15 minutes. Right. So you we know try to make I it like, easy. You know one of my favorite places to like cod is in soup. Like you make a fish soup. Yeah. Use the head, the bones, make a beautiful soup. of a stock, you know, stock soup with tomato and, and saffron and whatever. Cook that down, blend the whole thing up. And then at the last minute, take your cod and cut it in small pieces and then drop it in there, bring it to a boil and stop. Oh, wow. And you then you blend delicious. the head up, do you? Yeah, yeah, you blend everything and then you pass it to a fine Oh, you seat. pass it through, like, yeah, like, yeah. A, like a bisque or a... Yeah, yeah. Like, a, like a fish yeah. soup, basically, yeah. classic So uh, cod, unlike salmon, is a much flakier fish, right? So you just have to be careful when you're handling it. Uh, and so, Terry, uh, you took your, the cod, you put, made the brown butter, you gave it a saute... One of the things that I loved that you did was when we cook fish, I don't care what kind you're cooking, uh, we took the fire, we turned the fish over after we seared it, right? And it's yeah. only about three quarters of an inch thick. Cooked it for a second on the other side, then turn the heat off, put a lid over it. Correct. And let the residual heat continue to cook the fish. Correct. And that's so important to keep it moist and to not overcook it because we do want a little translucency in the center. Yeah, the first side, you want to have that kind of searing, you're making, nutty You're making the presentation flavor side, yeah. And the flavor. Yeah. The second side, you just want to finish to cook quickly. So you just, like you said, you just turn off the fire, cover it. It's not that thick of a piece of fish, and it cooks fast. Yeah, it just steams the, the rest of the way real fast. Okay, now you've taken the, and you've uh, scraped up the bits off the bottom of the pan. Yeah. You've added a little nugget of butter, and now you've got some vinegar. What kind of vinegar do you have? Um, I got some brown vine- uh, balsamic vinegar I found over there, so I'm just going to... Uh, put some brown butter. I'm going to get the butter brown again. Uh-huh. And I'm going to drop the vinegar in there. Just wait one minute, reduce it down, and pour that over the fish. You could do chopped parsley. You could do chopped chives. You could do many different things. And so the important part here is that vinegar, he's only putting a tablespoon or so in there. And uh, basically you're going to emulsify it real quick yeah. with the uh, browned butter and then get it off the heat and right onto your fish. Uh, anyway, see, uh, not too many places actually cook live on the radio here, so this is uh, this is a big deal. Here we go. And of course, chef will leave the dishes for me to do. Now it looks to me like your butter broke a little bit. That was that intended? Oh, oh yeah, it's not broke. It's just there is it, nothing else but nothing butter. Nothing to emulsify. Correct. Right. There's not enough it vinegar is, it to emulsify. It is kind of like this is considered a butter dressing. So that's. You know, when you take vinegar and you drop it. Is that it? what the French chefs say when they screw up their dish? They, oh, this, no, no, no. This <laughs> isn't. This is a butter dressing. It's a vinaigrette de bernoisette. Yeah, it's a vinaigrette. I think that's a better. Vinaigrette yeah. de bernoisette. Yeah. Chaud. Chaud, which yeah. is different. This is why it doesn't emulsify because it's hot. So the two bodies yeah. are. So, so I was teasing you a little bit there. No, but no, it's that's, okay. That's but you it. know, one thing I was going to When somebody put, does this at home, I want them to know that that is the separation of the vinegar. And the, and the oil from the butter right. is, is okay. It's good. And one thing that's good in here is, uh, I didn't put them, but the capers. Uh-huh. You know, to put capers in is classic. You know, chopped parsley and capers goes in there at the last minute. Toss them up and then put that on top of your card. And, so grab your forks and... Uh, All right. The house here is going to go into uh, a tasting mode. Uh, the other thing that you can do with cod is make fish and chips. And I'm sure that, uh, uh, Scott, you are... Uh, you're happy when somebody doesn't make fish and chips because that seems to be the throwback, right? You know, it is a throwback, but, of course, it's a classic, too. Uh-huh. Uh, we support a lot of restaurants here locally with uh, cod for their fish and chips. 
And we just, you know, love that application, of course. But I think cod is also such a great, versatile fish for all the way to the center of the plate to white tablecloth restaurants. Um, I think it's a fish that still has great value as a lot of the premium white fish becomes more and more expensive. Cod is still a great value. Um, and can hold up to beautiful preparations like the chef just did here. Another way is, uh, if you have time, is to make a hollandaise um, and put it on top of your cod filet after it's been, like you cook it like this, and then you just, at the last minute, you take it off the pan, you put your hollandaise on it, and you flash it in the oven. It's gonna, in a broiler. It's gonna, in a broiler, so yeah. it's going to give you that nice glaçage on top. Yeah. It's going to be delish. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. That's that's a classic. That's a big classic. classic uh, uh, but yeah. cod, you know what I like about cod is it's a beginner's fish to me. If, you've ne- if you know, many people are afraid to cook fish at home only for the simple reason that they go, oh, it smells. I'm like, well, first of all, that fish here does not smell like anything. The first thing I did was smell it when you brought it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't smell. Good fish does not smell. Correct. You know, that's old not fish true. smells. That's not true. <laughs> oh, okay, I'm, so I've fished fresh. a few times in my life. And I've cleaned a few fish in my life, quite a few actually. And I, the difference between a fresh fish and a few days old fish is the smell. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no secret to that stuff. A good fish that comes out, do you see fish in the water holding their nose like this? <laughs> no, they don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah That's a good joke. To your point, good quality Who fresh knew? fish. We had the one stooger right here. <laughs> No, I mean, uh, I was going to say good quality fresh fish, you know, should have that nice, clean, ocean fresh smell to it. Yeah. Correct. Um, one of the things we do on board our boats is we bleed our fish right away. So it really helps get uh, get that ocean fresh that's, flavor. That's a big deal yeah. right there. Go look for it. Go look for it. Thanks for uh, Scott Sandvig for coming by and bringing us some fresh cod. We appreciate that. It's from the Longline Coalition. Get out there and try it. It's good, good fun. We're serving it as, as fish and chips down at Seatown uh, right now. We got another whole hour. Big congratulations to three Seattle restaurants that won high praise from the New York Times. Uh, Modernist Pizza is going to be here with French uh, Chisco Magoya. And, of course, we're going to wrap up our last hour with Food for Thought Tasty Trivia. On Cairo, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Hello, everyone. It's the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo. My name is Tom Douglas. It's time for hour number two. Hour number two. I'm joined by the chef in the chapeau who's got a mouthful of croissant. Mm, those croissants from the bakery across the street. What bakery I don't know would who that runs be? That, I don't know who runs that joint, but man, that is good. <laughs> the that Dahlia the- Bakery, of course. Delicious stuff. We're here at the Hotel Andra. Second floor. If you ever want to come visit our studio, uh, which is obviously the Hot Stove Society uh, kitchens, uh, you can um, just walk up to the sec- uh, into the hotel, walk up to the second floor. It's like a mezzanine almost. Yeah. And then just walk to the back, and you'll see our our cookbook lending library, where you can actually grab a book or drop a book, a cookbook, uh, and then uh, you come right past that and right into our studio here. So, and we're gonna start having live audience, aren't we? Woohoo! When is that? October twenty ninth. October twenty ninth. Our yep. first tickets are on sale on the website. It's Good. only thirty five bucks to spend time with us in the morning. It's such huh. a bargain. <laughs> I mean, and it comes with guess- breakfast and coffee. Exactly. Did you I know mean- that. Of course it does. Coffee, breakfast. I mean, when I test the breakfast. Have we decided what breakfast we're serving yet? No, we're still fighting about it. I, lo- I, I, I vote for the Dahlia Bakery English muffin sandwiches. I know. Yeah, I know. those are, they've been the success. And Pamela wants to make something herself here. <laughs> but we, Pamela, as we'll, you predicted, we'll Pamela, see how long that would last. We'll talk, we'll talk off the air. Great idea for the first show. We'll charge 50 bucks then. <laughs> yeah. 
She's going to make a broccoli salad. <laughs> With quinoa. With quinoa. We're going to have no spectators. We have another whole hour to go here today on the Hot Stove Show. Uh, big congratulations to uh, the three restaurants uh, that were called out in the Wednesday's uh, New York Times restaurant list for 2021. And big congratulations, yes. They, they are restaurants that are, they thought... Uh, was worth a visit or something. I can't remember what, how they put it. It's not like the best restaurants in the world. Like that no. list just came out of two most weeks exciting. ago. It's yeah, the 50 exciting. places in America we're most excited about right now. Right now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so we're going to talk to uh, talk about them. Uh, Modernist Pizza has their 200,000 hour intensive book on pizza from all the different um, styles around the world to Actually, they tried to trace back where pizza started. Correct. That's and Nathan Merville, the famous modernist series. Yeah, and uh, uh, his co-author, uh, Francisco Magoya, is going to come, and we're going to talk. And I did an interview online with them. If you want to look it up, you can see our, our chat online uh, about modernist pizza. I'm sure it's, uh, it's available somewhere on the modernist site. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you somewhere. think it is? Some, somewhere, yeah. Google, Google it up, you'll find it. <laughs> and, of course, we're going to wrap up the show with Food for Thought, Tasty Trivia. Uh, so, uh, big, big time. Okay, uh, have you been to any of the restaurants called out in the best food section in America? You know what? I tried to get in two of them, and I could not. So, no, I have not been. I've been very unsuccessful in getting into those restaurants. They're small. Most of, I mean, they're all small restaurants. Uh-huh. Um, and they are very, um, very highly priced, so I, I, it didn't work out for me so far. But I'm not giving up because I don't give up on this kind of stuff. Right. I will make my trip to the Mecca one of these days. But you are going to? Uh, I have been to. What's the third one? It's Archipelago. Huh? Paju. 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 I have not been to Paju, uh, but I've been to Archipelago. Oh, you have down there. And How did you get Avenue. in? You know, I think that's the restaurant, if I'm not mistaken, that my daughter was engaged in. Oh, they that's... did have a big moment there. Yeah, her boyfriend yeah, that... put the ring and gave the chef the ring to bring out, and they were having this little, you know, they do the they do kind of the old Rover style, the yeah, fancy yeah, yeah. small portions, multi, uh, multi-portion multi um, menu. And, course, yeah. and uh, Loretta loves that. My daughter loves that kind of thing, as does Jackie, my yeah. wife. Yeah, I know. I, I have know Jackie likes never it. been... <laughs> You know, you it know. was always a it was always a fight between Jackie and Tom to get to Rovers. Well, you know, I've been, I was in Luke a hundred times more than I was ever in Rovers. Of course, and that's in ten years compared to twenty five or thirty yeah, yeah, years. Yeah. yeah, so it's just uh, I'm just not very patient for a five hour dinner. Correct. Yeah. So as you know, I, I and plus know. I have to get out of my shorts and t shirt in order to <laughs> in order to walk in the door. You know, Pam, when um, I first started going to Rovers, Terry thought I was disrespecting him <laughs> by not dressing up. And did you amend your ways? I did not, but he came around the fact that I wasn't disrespectful. No, no, I came around. But the last time Tom was in Rovers, he was dressed up with a jacket. Very nice. I don't remember that. (laughs) I do. Let's talk about Archipelago. Archipelago. It's a, uh, I want to say, a Philippine couple. Yeah. uh, And they do beautiful, tasty morsels of, of their food. It is difficult to get in, probably more difficult now after this article, but we didn't have that hard a time. You just have to say, okay, I'm going to do a month in advance. Correct, correct. Put it on the calendar, and then we're just going to get up there and show up. Uh, Communion is another one. Uh, Feisty little restaurant. I really like it, and the owner is feisty. Uh, I saw her down at the Sunset Supper in the Pike Place Market. Our our booth was just a few booths down from her. and She must have had 20 people down there putting out chicken noodle soup uh, that was... (laughs) 
super tasty, but it was like a parade. It was so fun. And there is a, it's a very lively restaurant. Uh, uh, I really enjoyed it. I went there for the Soul of Seattle event. I got my, my bag yep. of food. Yep. It was really tasty. Um, uh, that particular night was uh, red beans and rice and something else, if I remember right. This is a long time ago now. But uh, Was Christy, Christy Brown on the show when she just had her catering yeah, 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 yeah. before she yeah. had communion? And yeah. I, I think they still do events, she and her son, with that brown girl cooks right. Right. As, as part of communion, too. You know, uh, it is... It's just amazing to see what a personality can do for a business. Just like you two. Exactly. Well, I'm Your personality-based companies. I, I think you're right, Tom. I think it's very important to remind all chefs out there and restaurateurs how important it is to be out there. You have to be out there. You have to put yourself out there. You can't... You know, it's very hard. It's much harder to just... You know, in two days' world competition, it's very hard to just stay in your kitchen and... Not do anything else but cook, because if you just do that, you won't have the world looking at you as much as, you know, you need to get out there. You just have to. Well, I think it used to be more important to get out there and get on TV and do all those kind of things. With the uh, social media these days, it's not nearly as important. You do have to be out there. Right. But you don't have to be the public figure that you... Correct. Uh, ...that was traditionally But you do have to get chef. out there. Yeah. Okay, and the last one is Paju. Uh, the idea is to order the entire compact menu, kind of like um, um, Rupee Bar up there in Ballard. I ordered yeah, the you whole need, you menu. you need to eat the whole thing. And share it with the table. Uh, but um, apparently the New York Times felt everyone was too possessive about the, the bowl of fried rice. <laughs> Which is always the same story. It's like you go to a restaurant, you say, okay, let's order everything on the menu. And then by the time the dish gets to you, there is nothing left There's on nothing the plate. Left. You're like, I just went around with six people or eight people. Yeah, they and really like the uh, uh, the fried rice black with squid ink, beautifully chewy, with a gentle smokiness. I think that comes from the squid ink, mm-hmm. I, and a soft, lingering flavor of kimchi. Now, it's funny, because I would never think of kimchi as a soft right. flavor, but that's how they described it. The dining room is plain, but Bill So Jung's modern Korean dishes are elegant and expressive. You wouldn't want to miss a single one. So lots of high praise for these three restaurants. Communion... Uh, Archipelago and Paju, uh, get out there and try them. Uh, I certainly am going to try and get into the one that I haven't been to, which is Paju. Um, looking forward to that. And, and also, refer- one more plug for the New York Times food section. I think it's the best uh, that I've, I ever come across. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's definitely a very serious food section. You never get tired to read anything they do in there. I think between between them and Gastro Obscura, I think I'm down. I can't get yep. any further. <laughs> all right, up next, Modernist Pizza, an epic book for all pizza lovers, uh, with Francesco on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Show. It's on Cairo, as you well know. Uh, we hope you're in your gardens or in your... Uh, actually, the gardens are kind of wrapping up. Jackie's just picking all the green tomatoes left over. It didn't ripen. We're going to pickle 50 five-gallon buckets of green tomatoes mm. in the next couple of weeks. Um, so hopefully you're out and about or listening to us on our podcast or in your kitchen cooking something delicious. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. We are joined in the Hot Stove Society kitchen here at the Hotel Andre by the Modernist Pizza folks and uh, celebrating their new book called, oddly, Modernist Pizza. <laughs> it's a great name. 
Yeah, funny how it is. Uh, Francisco is here. Uh, Magoya, is that how I say yeah, that? That's yeah, correct. is that right? Uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you again, Chef. Absolutely. Welcome, Francisco. Nobody's seen you in a while, so it's everyone gets to see you for the first time. Well, actually, I don't think we've ever met. We have never met. You know, because I've been to the modernist, but I don't think I've, ser- never I've met you. No. Yeah, no. pleasure meeting you. Same here. You guys do an awesome job over there. Oh, thank you very much. Sounds like the job. dream job when they started the first modernist. I was like, oh my god, this is a job that would be so awesome. Uh huh. But then, uh, <clears throat> two hundred thousand hours later on the pizza, you're like, well, <laughs> I know part of this. Yeah. There's there is such a thing as too much pizza. There's, yeah, there's a point where I can say that. I can safely say that. Uh, Francisco, this is a tome. This isn't a book. This is a tome, as you know, and that's what modernists does. They t- they explore. Uh, ideas and techniques all the way back to their very roots and uh, oftentimes we'll take them to the other direction of what the possibilities are that maybe have never been explored before so you decided to use pizza as a subject this time and to tell us about that thought process and and the history of the book yeah so we in 2017 we published a another uh, set of books titled modernist bread it was a five volume book on bread and um, believe it or not it was going to be bigger uh, because we had more content than would fit in five volumes, and we had to start thinking about what to cut out. And what seemed to make sense was to basically just leave a few recipes for pizza in there, but remove most of the content out because it, it seemed like it deserved its own, you know, series. It's just it's such a su- giant subject matter. So it was kind of like a happy problem where. It resolved the problem of space, but also it gave us the subject matter for our next project. And so in 2017, we started in earnest doing research for this book. And uh, four years later, just last week was our launch, our official launch date. So I'm oversimplifying four years of, of, <laughs> of work. But essentially, it required a lot of travel because it required going to places where pizza is notable, pizza styles are notable, obviously Italy, obviously Naples. Italy was actually three times, three separate times to go to different regions. Um, but we also went to uh, Tokyo. We went to Buenos Aires and Sao Paulo, which has an incredibly large population of Italian immigrants and a very unique, specific style of pizza. Uh, but also in the United States, wherever pizza is notable, not just for a style, but for its quality. Right. So if you talk about New York, it's New York style. But Portland, for example, has fantastic pizza, even though it doesn't have a style in and of itself. So... Wherever there was pizza that mattered, and of course pizza matters everywhere, but in in that significance of of having a presence culturally and gastronomically, we were there. Right. So we spoke to pizzaiolos, we spoke to you know pizza pizzeria owners, uh, and anybody who was willing to teach us what they knew as far as making the doughs, baking it. Sometimes I got in the kitchen and they let me cook a couple of pizzas. So. It was a, an incredible learning experience, and uh, so many people were very open and, and sharing. And there was, it was incredible because the people who were the, mo- the better pizzaios, the more talented ones, were happier to share than the ones that maybe not so much. There was mm-hmm. uh, uh, like, no, that's a family secret, or right. well, we can't tell you. Or There was one guy right. that actually kept his, his dough-making section behind locked door with a combination passcode, and it was like... <laughs> All right, you get it. Your yeah. pizza is really good, man. But I mean, it's it's just dough, right? So, right. but we, we, it was very interesting, and you know, four years of, of going in and out of kitchens and testing and testing and testing um, produced this three volume book with what we call a kitchen manual, which is like the portable version of the recipes that is uh, kitchen safe, if you will. So, if it gets stains or whatever, it's easy to wipe off. So, uh, very proud of it, and you know, here we are. 
So I have a couple of questions. Number one, yes. did you gain any weight doing this? I think that was the heaviest I've ever been in my life. So was you did? The, in 2018, 2019, yes. Because there were days uh, we had... You know, we would visit five or six different pizzerias. Every pizzeria is three or four pizzas. And you can't say no. No, People of course not. People want to give you what they're making. And so it's actually rude to right. turn it down. And right. so by the time you're done, you're just like, you want a vegetable. You want a carrot. You want something yeah. that is not pizza. So but I was curious about that because that would be my first feeling to think about. It's nice to eat bread. I mean, I love, I can't even think of life without bread. But right. To eat it in quantities like this eventually takes its toll. It's a marathon. So, you know, this is when you start, way. when you're finished with this abet today, you'd be like, I want one slice of pizza, I just want it good. Yes. You know, yeah. and, th and I think that's what it was meant to be originally. But my next question is, how old is the oldest pizza you found, pizza recipe you found, or pizza making? Uh, so, you know, pizza is a food that is, has always been for the masses, for the peasants, for poor people. And so it wasn't very heavily documented. It's not something that you're going to find writings from the 1700s or right. there's some cave the, drawing. There's no cave drawings of pizziolas. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's, there is the first evidence that we saw of actual pizza in a book was in 1799, but not even really a recipe. It's a mention. Right. The first recipe that we see is actually not even in Italian. It was a British publication in 1829 that talked about how to make uh, margarita pizza. So Yeah, so that was going to be my next question mm -hmm. is where is it from? Because yes. Uh, we all think that pizza is from Napoli, you know, Napoli. Oh, it is. It indeed is from Naples. But okay. And so the recipe was referencing Neapolitan pizza. Mm -hmm. um, the All of the sources that we have indicate that Naples is the first place where you can have pizza that is something that we identify as pizza these days. Cool. I just think pizza is one of those foods, and I try to stay away, but two nights ago, I had thought I had a crust from Tom Douglas in my freezer and I had some scamosa, which is how uh, I ended up doing that scamosa <laughs> recipe. I was talking earlier on the show. Mm -hmm. I opened the freezer and I'm like, Kathy, where is that, where is that crust? <laughs> I don't know. We don't know where it went. Somehow the crust disappeared. <laughs> so we must have eaten that. Well, you know. have to go to your favorite store, Met Market, and buy some more because that's Correct. where they sell our series pie pizza crust. But I just can't believe how popular. No, no, it's not. I cannot believe. It's delicious. Mm. But it is a seriously popular. So you said you went to Asia, to, I mean, to, to Japan? Tokyo. Uh, Seoul is a big pizza town, too. Yeah, and they have very oh, interesting yeah. toppings in Seoul. We didn't visit Seoul, but we did uh, you know, as much research as we could. Um, like One of the, the toppings that is apparently the most popular is blueberries uh, and ricotta cheese. So it's almost like a blintz, you know, like wow. a cheese. It, it yeah. was, and, and, you know, other stuff amongst those, those lines. Uh, very interesting. I, don't, I hesitate to call them weird because what's weird? Yeah, I mean, weird. they're just yeah. different, and it's, it's what they're accustomed to. Of course. When I was uh, when we were first opened at Serious Pie, I had a guy from Seoul who ran I think seven thousand restaurants in Seoul, and he wanted Serious Pie as one of his brands. and And I said, "Well, is it really worth it for a couple of pizzerias?" He said, "Oh no, 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 we're going to do forty five in Seoul. Forty five, <laughs> <Wow. laughs> taking pizza seriously." Yeah, exactly. Wow. Uh, when we come back, I want to ask one more question about uh, pizza in mm -hmm. general, and then let's get into kind of some recipes and proper baking techniques and things like that. But uh, you know, in this town, you can go anywhere from uh, our pie, serious pie, all the way to Costco and have a pizza that is sold a million plus times a day, right? right. Um, I want to find out in the next uh, segment, where do you stand? Mm -hmm. You've tried them all, mm -hmm. right? So where do you stand on 
uh, respect for pizza because I respect the Costco pizza for what it's trying to do. Like you just said, feed the masses. You know, they they do what they can do at their speed and at their price point and blah mm-hmm. blah blah. I don't have a problem with that, but I also don't have a problem with a a Napoli style pizza. So. Let's talk about that when we come back on Cairo. We're going to hang out with Francisco Magoya from Modernist Pizza on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. All right, we're back in the kitchen here at the Hot Stove Society. Uh, We're talking with Francisco Magoya of uh, Modernist Pizza. It's a new book out. It's like $495. Is that right? I believe so. Yeah, so it's it's an investment, but it is a four-volume home of pizza goodness and uh, maybe buy one for your neighborhood <laughs> share it around you your know neighborhood. what buy one for your, yeah buy one for your neighborhood build an oven for the neighborhood and make it yeah. every friday night we're going to spend this segment talking about how the best techniques to make pizza that you've discovered through your book but i wanted to ask that one question about where do you stand on kind of big commercial pizza like costco which fills a role right a lot of people it's a buck and a half it's big enough for your lunch, you know, it's, and then the very finest pizza that you've had in Napoli. I think there's a place for everything, and uh-huh. there's a, a customer for everything. And I, one of the things that I, I like to stay away from is, like, making a judgment call on that, mostly right. because people might enjoy that pizza, and that's fine. People love uh, it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, have you seen the amount of pepperoni they put on the pepperoni <laughs> I know. It's crazy. I mean, it's generous. And that's a $5 pizza. Yeah. Right? It's like the $5 roast chicken that Costco knows, right? Yeah. It's like they, they understand the value that they're providing people. It's a quick meal. And at least people are cooking it at home, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I, I, while there's a, a place for that, it wasn't in our book. Right. right? And so... I feel that uh, you know a, a it, when somebody tastes the difference between that pizza and something like your pizza, for example, mm-hmm. it's it's a different. It's apples and oranges. Right. right? They're both pizza. Right. But I think that you very clearly will see the difference in quality and the cheese and the crust and how it eats and so on and so forth. Even how you feel after you eat it. Right. Um, and so one is convenience and one is quality. And maybe you know the thing about those mass-made pizzas and delivery pizza is that it's it's just it's convenient. It's the meal that you can just call up and it arrives at your door in 20, 30 minutes and it's melted cheese on dough, you know, like, <laughs> exactly. right. um, and so, you know, but something like yours, you know, it, it's, it's almost like people, it's a destination, right? It's a, wanna, it's just a different experience. Yeah, it absolutely. is a different experience. So let's talk about that. Cause pizza like mine, more of an individual size pizza, uh, possibly a homemade crust or a homemade dough. What are some tricks for people to be the most successful at home? And I'll just say one that I've already done. Mm-hmm. You and I talked pizza for an hour last week. Uh, I went out and I ordered one of the steel oh, right. stones mm-hmm. for the oven instead of the instead Stone. of the uh, ceramic stone that yeah. I have. Yeah. Uh, and I haven't used it yet. It's, oh, on, it's in my kitchen, so right. I'm anxious to try it. So how do people – what's the, some things to make people more successful at home making pizza? Yeah, I love answering this question because it's actually it's, it's just a few things you have to do. The first I would suggest is buy a scale to weigh your ingredients uh, because even though we have the volume measures as well in our recipes, a scale is going to give you the accuracy you need. So you're going to get a consistent product, period. Uh, and the second is to get a thermometer, a uh, thermometer to measure the temperature of your water. When you're mixing your dough, you want it to not be too cold or not too hot. Uh, and also so you can take the temperature of your dough when it comes off the mixer. If it's too hot, you want to cool it down. So you can control fermentation with a thermometer. And the third is what we just talked about, which is a baking steel. It's a, a three and an eighth inch thick slab of black steel 
that when you say is eight inch, three eighths. Eight oh, eighth of an inch. Three eighths okay. or three eighths. They make them in all three sizes. Yeah. Like they make them down. different yeah. thicknesses. Yeah. But the three inch, three eighths is what we recommend. It's what you can easily access, um, and it it absorbs heat really well. And it keeps it, and it radiates it really well, and better than a baking stone. A baking stone is 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 a stone, and it's just it's very it's not very good at those you know heat retention capabilities. So, the baking steel, what I do in my house is I always keep it in my oven. I don't even take it out. I keep it in there. I always keep it four inches from the broiler because I don't just use it for pizza. I use it if I'm roasting vegetables, and I put my sheet pan on a hot baking steel they're going to roast faster yeah, if you i get bottom and top yeah exactly and if i'm making a pizza i keep it there because it's always hotter your oven is always going to be hotter towards the top right heat rises so i bake it in there uh four inches from the broiler it gets super hot and the bottom is going to get nice and crispy uh, which is some of the problems you may have when you don't have it which is like this blonde base that is not as brown as the outer rim crust right. and so it's flabby and you don't get what is called the you know the the plank when you fold a slice right, right. and you don't get that that and then you might get tip sag which is like instead of it holding a, the slice holding a straight line it just sags right which is normal for a pizza like Neapolitan, but that's a different animal. Mm-hmm. You couldn't do that at home unless you had one of those ultra-high temperature ovens. Correct. That's a 900-degree oven, right? Yeah, 850, 900. Yeah. And, you know, there's some home units like the Uni or the, uh, I think, uh, the, the Rockbox. They can, they can get that hot, but they're outdoor ovens. And, you know, that's... And they're plumbed with gas. and Yeah, yeah uh, you can do wood or gas. I prefer a gas a thousand times because it just gets hotter faster and it's easier to maintain the temperature. But a baking steel in your home oven is, is good multipurpose. I also keep it in the oven because it's so heavy. Right. And it is heavy to mess around with. Yeah. yeah and just and I just want to go there. back and clarify one thing. You said four inches from the broiler, but you're not broiling the pizza. No. You're just using the hottest part Correct. of your oven. Correct. Right. And some pizzas you might want to turn the broiler on, you know, get the oven hot. And then turn it off and switch to broil if you want to get a nice. I've like, never tried that. Super dark color, but uh. start with regular heat uh-huh. if it's convection or or still heat, whatever. Uh, and then halfway through the bake, you can turn it off, turn the broiler on, and you're going to get a super nice uh, browning on your crust. One of the things that I think people don't do is start uh, put make their pizza on a pizza peel or on the back of a cookie sheet or something that's Correct. easily transferable to the oven. Mm-hmm. They try to make it on their counter and then shove a peel oh, underneath. It's, it's and a recipe literally for disaster. Yeah, yeah uh, exactly. I was going to say, yeah. that's how you do not make it well. <laughs> Correct. And, you know, I, a tip for this that I think a lot of people are going to you know appreciate is that I recommend shaping your pizza, the dough, on top of a, a disc of parchment paper. Yeah. Uh, just cut it a little bit larger than your pizza. Mm-hmm. And you open your dough up on it, you put the sauce and cheese on it, and then you can slide that on your peel and then slide that into your oven onto your baking steel. With the parchment? Yeah, yeah. with the parchment. It's the, the easiest way to transfer pizza yeah. to keep its shape. That makes sense. And halfway through the bake, I always recommend rotating your pizza 180 degrees. Typically, a pizza takes six to seven minutes to bake at the highest temperature your oven can get, which is 525 on average. Um, I, I recommend you're going to rotate that pizza 180 degrees, but also you can pull the parchment paper out at this point. It's already firm enough of a, formed enough of a, a structure that it can hold its shape. You can pull the parchment paper out, and it's easy to pull it out, a, a cooked pizza mm-hmm. as opposed to a raw pizza. Have you tried right. with silpat? Go ahead. Have you tried with silpat? Silpat, uh, you know, eventually silpats are going to get a little uh, – it gets so hot – uh, a silpat might not be able to uh, withstand okay. that, that super high temperature. <clears throat> yep. So that's why I recommend parchment paper. Yeah. But it's a little bit like uh, 
barbecue. You don't want to keep opening your oven, though, because you know, that right. heat is so important in getting the, the, the perfect pizza. But the steel is so radiant that you, you can open it to do your turn sure. and still get back to your temp. And if you were really fanatic about it and you had, like, a pizza party in your house, I would say get two, right? Get two baking steels, mm-hmm. put one on the top, you know, like I said, four inches from the top, the next one below, four inches below it. So you're always rotating. Basically, I make my first pizza. I put it on top. When it's time to rotate it, rotate it. I rotate it, but I put it in the bottom steel, and then I can put a new pizza on top. Perfect. And I just keep going in and out, and I don't lose too much heat. My baking right. steel keeps getting hot as it's empty and so forth. So I'm, I'm basically going through a cycle of hot and baking and spinning. Yeah. Right. So. Using the principle of the cast iron pan. Yeah. And you know what? A cast iron pan would also work fine. Right. If you get, have one of those flat skillets. Correct. Although that's limited by the size of the skillet. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, you yeah. can definitely do that. Right. The, uh, one of my pet peeves is broken cheese. Oh, sure. And so uh, I, don't, I think sometimes people don't realize they can cook a pizza 50, 60, 80%, pull it out, mm-hmm. put your cheese on and put it back in, and it's okay. Yes. Yeah. Uh, when, you were, so, when you were talking about not opening the oven, I think people need to understand. Basically, put it five minutes don't look at it, don't touch it, then open the oven. That would be my, my advice for me for pizza because the first five minutes are the most crucial sure. to get that dough you know, going. And once it starts solidifying a little bit, then you're, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. You get a little bit of lift. You get like that bubbling in the crust. Right. Um, and, yeah, there's cheeses that you could put halfway through. It can happen that if you put it at the beginning, you might get like that greasy separation. Right. The, separation. the better the cheese, the easier it will break. Correct. Yes, <laughs> that's also, absolutely like, true. Same with herbs and things like that. A lot of times, you know, it's best pull your pizza out of the oven when it's done. Right. Then put your fresh herbs on top. Correct. Or grate some fresh cheese on top and let mm-hmm. the residual eat. Yeah. Finish your pie, for especially it. if you're yeah. doing like fresh goat cheese or whatever. Just put oh, that sure. at the end. Yeah, especially though. Yeah, especially. so many little tips and tricks. Anything we're missing before we wrap up? Um, I would say that you know, in a sense, also the flour matters as well. If mm-hmm. you're going to be baking pizza at home, I would suggest a really high protein flour, something really strong, because that's going to brown better. Uh, then if you get like an all-purpose, even if people want to use like the double O Neapolitan pizza flour, that's not great for home baking because mm-hmm. that's great for higher temperatures. For your home oven, you're going to want to have something uh, like um, high gluten uh, yeah. bread flour. Yeah, right. that's what we use, and it's uh, congratulations. That's a that's an impressive amount of work. Well, we're Tom, really where proud can of people it. buy it? Is, I'm sure it's on Amazon, but they can. Yeah, but uh, you, they can also get it at marnescuisineshop.com, okay. and we offer free shipping in the uh, continental U.S. All right, and I'm sure that um, the book larder in Fremont probably has Absolutely, a copy yes. of it too. Yes, and they have a pretty good deal, like. I think the first 25 buyers are going to get an hour class at the Marnus Cuisine Lab um, by me, given by me, and nice. it's, it's, it's in person. It's not like virtual, I think. So. Right. And it'll be, that'll be in February. Perfect. Love that. All right. So much to go. Uh, is Francisco staying for, to get beaten up by Terry and I or not? <laughs> you are presumptuous. You, you want to stay and do our food for thought tasting A pizza trivia? fight? <laughs> A what? Our trivia contest? Oh, sure. Let's do All it. right. Let's do that. Fresh, you know what we call you now? What? Fresh meat. <laughs> okay. We'll I'm see. Sure he's going to kick our butt. I, I, uh, I'm so worried. I bet, you, I bet you Pam already picked the subject being pizza. <laughs> it's time for our Food for Thought Rub with Love Tasty Trivia Challenge. When we come back on Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back. Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. Uh, Chef Terry, uh, we have fresh meat in the house. <laughs> yes, but it's meat that is really prime. 
As in, <laughs> as in it's man, Wagyu. It's uh, it's Wagyu A6. <laughs> I'm like, uh, you know, you're presumptuing that we're going to win. I'm like, I'm, no, I'm not. I'm not even going there. Sure Francisco Magoya is uh, going to stay with us through this segment. He is the author of the Fine Modernist Pizza book. He doesn't know anything about this trivia, so let's just let's just hijack him. <laughs> uh, Pamela, do you want to? Uh, well, I should say this first. Rub with Love uh, Tasty Trivia is brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs. They're versatile rubs uh, made right in my Ballard Warehouse kitchen. Uh, we have sauces and mustards. Also, they bring extra layers of flavor to just about any meal. Use them generously, please, in creative ways beyond the label description. Our listeners can find the Rub with Love at uh, Seattle Tacoma Airport. Many locations, including Sprouts, uh, Market Time, are all six locations of town and country markets. Today, uh, Pamela, do you want to tell who, who's our winner, what the prize is, and uh, how to play the game? We're excited uh, for Stephanie Bradley to be our winner today, a, a new name, and she's had some enthusiastic comments on the feed. And she's going to receive a mix of the seafood rub, the spicy Tokyo rub, and the crab cake mix so she can doll up her cod. Wow. Hopefully that's yep. a lot of seafood action there. A lot of seafood action. So, Francisco, thank you for staying. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> gets five questions. Uh-huh. Uh, the loser with the most wrong has to pay for the shipping of the prize. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's $7.50. Okay. So, <laughs> I don't think it's going to be you. <laughs> Well, probably, yeah. well, it probably so, will. Hey, 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 hey! You're on our team here. I told you. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> we start with Just Terry like traditionally, then our guest, and finish with Tom. Go ahead, uh, Senor. In food labeling terms, how many grams of fiber must be present to label something high fiber? I'm going to go 85. It's five. <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. Five grams You'd be per on the, serving. You'd be well, when I the... eat broccoli, I think about, and when I eat broccoli, I put quinoa and I put yeah, you'd be all kinds of toilet things. For I'm about like, six well. hours if you put eight. Number two. <laughs> all right. In pasta shapes, what is the shape of farfalle? What is the shape? Oh, farfalle. Um, twisted. Twisted. Uh. <laughs> well, it is twisted, but it's not what you're saying. <laughs> uh, butterflies or bows? Bow ties. Bows. <laughs> bows. When you need to substitute an ingredient for breadcrumbs, what can you use? Panko. Sure. <laughs> That's the first thing that's going to come to mind. Panko you know, is a breadcrumb. Yeah, but no. You're substituting. Oh, yeah, substituting. Substituting. Because bread, I was just... Panko was just, to me, the first thing that came to mind. Because when I use breadcrumb, I use baguette. Yeah, we got a show. Yeah, right yeah, yeah. Two-hour show, just a reminder. <laughs> Instead of, um, well, let me ask Francisco, what do you guys use on pizza? <laughs> no, just kidding. Wait, there's no lifeline. There's no lifeline. Um, the recommended answer was cracker crumbs. Nice. Something you can grind up in the cupboard. Quoi. Is it not a bread anymore, cracker? It's not a bread? <laughs> What food term does the Italian word zuppa translate to? Soup. Yay! Well, at least I got one. In addition to Stilton, what are the other two regal blue cheeses considered to be the kings of cheese? Delis de Bourgogne and uh, Roquefort. Uh, What did you say before Roquefort? Delis de Bourgogne and Roquefort. Gorgonzola. Gorgonzola. Oh, that's Italian. He can't, he can't, oh, he can't think I outside wanna, of France. I didn't want to cross the border. If it's made in Italy, it's not I on his list. I didn't want to cross the border. In food labeling terms, oh, wait, does just... reduced sodium 
mean less sodium than found in a similar product or less than 140 milligrams per serving? It's less than 150 milligrams per serving. It's less sodium than a similar product. Oh. Well, thank that's, God. That's a monkey business in labeling laws. Yeah, at least you get one wrong. <laughs> in pasta shapes, what shape is Ancini di Pepe? Well, I don't have, I don't have any clue. Wow, I've never even heard that name before. Is that like the, the Pope's top, Pope's head? It is the tiny peppercorn shaped or rice shaped. Oh, uh, I've never heard of that before. Me neither. This is the first time. I know. Pamela, is, Pamela coming up with some I know. Uh, food lovers This is real trivia here, night. real trivia. Yeah, I like no it. Kidding. When you need to substitute an ingredient for a teaspoon of lemon juice, what else can you use? Uh, well, you could use vinegar. Yes. Okay. All right. Whew, one. Fabulous. <laughs> um, what do the pigs in Germany's Westphalian forest eat to make the famous ham? Oh. Is it acorns? Yeah. yeah. Of course. I think all pigs eat acorns, aren't they? I thought that they? was uh, in Spanish. Spain. In Spain. It's, it's in Spain, and it's known it, very well. But it, it, it is known in Westphalia. It's really important of Germany, as Francisco knows. Yeah. Yes. No, of course. And finally, what is a sand dab? Oh, A sand dab. Is it a type of fish? Yes. I totally... <laughs> it's a soul. It's like, it's like a soul. Hat. I've never heard See, I would have known that. I knew that. Uh, and in particularly a small flatfish found in the Pacific waters from California to Alaska. Close to the sand, I imagine. Close, Close to the sand. sand. <laughs> hence the, hence the and they're almost always served whole with the with yeah. uh, spine inside the two sides. It's, uh, when, I was, when I cook some in my life, it, extremely uh, touchy. Yeah. As in, yeah. it breaks down into... So fast. Like Dover Soul? Yeah. Well, no, yeah. no, more, more fragile than Dover Soul. Much yeah. more fragile than that. Well, we don't really have Dover Soul here. We have Gray Soul, and Correct. it just falls apart oftentimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, uh, um, Francisco screaming into the lead. So three, three out of five? Is that what Francisco <laughs> Yeah, three out of five. <laughs> All right, All Mr. Right, Douglas. In food labeling terms, does enriched mean the product contains 10, 20, or 50% more of the recommended daily value of the vitamins or minerals? 10% more. Correct. Number two. <laughs> in pasta. <laughs> I've got the right one. Good in job. In pasta shape terms, what shape is penne? Please describe. Well, it's a tube. Oh, come with Good you. A small, a small tube, and it's got an angle cut on the Dangly end. cut. And sometimes yeah. it's ribbed. Sometimes yes. it's yeah. not. Bonus point. And I like, to, I like to toast my penne raw in the oven. To a golden nutty brown before I that cook it. That was one of the favorite things you ever made at Cafe Sport. Oh, there you go. With the cream thyme dressing. Yeah. Number three, when you need to substitute an ingredient for sour cream, what else can you use? Mascarpone. No. <laughs> Pen flesh. Maybe. What do you mean, maybe? Uh, yep. Yes. Okay, yes. <laughs> Yogurt? Keep going. <laughs> do, you have a, do you have a vision on this? Yogurt? Yes. Yogurt? That's what she wanted to hear. That's what I wanted to hear. Hey. <laughs> okay. Uh, number four, what is the shape of the French pastry puff shell vol au vent? Vol au vent. It's a um, half moon. It's a, it's a, spool a, Terry. It's a rectangle. It's, a, <laughs> yes. it's like a spool of thread. It's a square. It's a square. Thank you. Yeah. Is it? No. Vol au vent is, is, is either a, round or square, and it is allowed to be able to be stuffed with... Shrimp or oh, whatever. I, or yeah. I was thinking the little uh, puff 
paste That's a garnish. That's a floral. The description was a pot with a lid. Yeah. So the hollow and the top. So what am I? Uh, two for four now. Is that right? Um, and yeah. this one I know you're going to nail. What is lutefisk made from? Fish. <laughs> We're not giving you that. Is there a particular, do you want a particular variety of fish? Very definitely. Um. Yes. Correct. <laughs> Yay. I tied. Oh, you tied. You guys tied and I lost. So I'm so, paying for the shipping. What Oof. that means is that, yes, uh, Chef Terry. Yes, me, it, it is. You owe me seven and a half dollars to ship this prize to our winner. Put it on my account. If you want to be part of the show, you can join our community on Facebook Live at Hot Stove Society Radio Show. You're listening to us on Cairo. It's produced, uh, this show's produced by Pamela Hinckley. Uh, in between her laughing, she likes to laugh. Sean McFadden, and our editor is Sean Don't Call Me the Torre. And remember, if you miss any episode of Hot Stove Society Show, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and have a fabulous weekend.